so wonderful to be with you today. It's been three years, Ann and I were trying to figure out this morning how long it had been. We've been in Southern California, and earlier Donna said to me, wow, you're, you're, you have such a strong Southern accent. And I said, yeah, we've been living in Southern California for three years, so it just showed up. So, wow, it is so wonderful to be here and worship with you today. It was uh, a joy to walk in and to see what you did with this environment that we talked about when we were members here and uh, tried to figure out how in the world would we project on those walls that are turned in different directions and could we see that with that beautiful window and it all looks great. This is wonderful. I think it's actually going to be harder to sleep in church now because this is so much brighter than it used to be. And I just think it's just wonderful. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Uh, most of you weren't here then, but in two months from today, 40 years ago, Ann and I walked through those doors back there for the very first time. We arrived in Mill Valley on Friday afternoon, barely getting here in time to pick up our key to move into a little efficiency apartment where we lived our first year at seminary. And this church welcomed us, loved us, taught us, opened doors of ministry for us. All those years ago, we still deeply, deeply appreciate that time in a place, our, our home away from home. Uh, for us, that became a home for us. So thank you so much. We just we just love uh, you, and we love being here. Would you turn with me to Matthew the thirteenth chapter, verse forty four? These are words that I believe you probably know. But you know, especially if we've been Christians for a while, sometimes we need to remind ourselves why are we doing this. Jesus begins by talking about the kingdom of heaven is life. Now let me just mention why I think that's important. We have our opinions. They don't really matter when it comes down to eternal things. We have our traditions. We have our perspectives. We have ways of doing things. But when it comes down to the main thing, and that is our relationship with God Himself. And our eternal relationship that begins here but continues forever and ever with Him. I want to hear what He says about it. So today, let's all wake up and listen to what Jesus is going to say to us about what is this kingdom of heaven like? And He's not just talking about once we get to heaven. He's talking about our entering into the kingdom now. We enter into the kingdom here, or we don't enter into the kingdom. So that's what he's talking about. He's got my attention whenever he says the kingdom of heaven is life. And then I love it. He always gives us an example that comes from real life. That's so down to earth that we, you know, this is not rocket science. We can all hear and understand and align our lives with it. If we will, we will listen. And do what he says. So here's what he says. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. 
And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Now we are so far removed from agrarian lives like human beings have been in from the beginning until maybe this century. Uh, we don't think about treasures hidden in a field. And most farmers see a field and the treasures they see are grain or corn or something growing there that's going to feed their family you know, for generations to come. Jesus, I don't think he's talking about that. He's talking about a different kind of treasure. Somehow, a man found a treasure. Something incredibly precious. And it was in the field. Of all places, not in the bank. Did they have banks in Jesus' day? I don't think so. Except maybe the temple in Jerusalem. This man found a treasure, something extremely valuable. Just the word treasure points to something very rare and unique and extremely valuable. A treasure, and it's hidden in a field. Now, I don't know why he did it this way. Jesus is obviously making a point, but I don't know why the man didn't just steal the treasure, but no, he realized he maybe it was too big. He needed to buy that field. He's got to buy that field. There's something in that field that is worth far more than the field. And what did he do? What did the man do? He went and sold all that he had. Oh my, he was grumpy. He was complaining the whole way. Oh, i got to sell my house to buy the treasure. <laughs> got to sell my old car to buy the treasure. i got to sell those tickets to Hawaii to buy the treasure. Oh, this is terrible, but I guess it's worth it. No. Jesus said, he's overwhelmed with joy. He cannot believe that he can sell everything and get that field. And with the field comes something he cannot buy. He couldn't possibly earn the treasure. So with joy, he counted everything else as being worth nothing in comparison to the surpassing greatness of that treasure, which is Jesus, which is a relationship with God, which is what we often call salvation. That grace gift. And he bought that field. So Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is about seeking and finding. That's the amazing thing. We can actually find a treasure and then sell it. Now that's the part we Americans sort of like to skip over. You know, we, just, we sort of want to add Jesus in with everything else that's good in our lives. He'll be, we'll, we'll add him to our other treasures. And he'll be, might even be a special treasure. But that's not what Jesus is saying about the kingdom here. It is recognizing that here is something worth more than everything else in life. And gladly laying it all at his feet and saying, I want this treasure. That's what the kingdom is like. 
It may not be what typical Christianity is like, at least what we call Christianity. It may not be that in many places. What we see in people and how people respond to Christ might be very different from that. But here we have from Jesus actually the standard, I believe. Here's what the kingdom is like. So we're at a crossroad in America today. On a global level, the kingdom of God is growing and spreading in miraculous ways. I'm going to tell you just a little bit about that today. But I'm just telling you that it's amazing to see what God is doing. Much of it through missionaries that you are supporting. And and through amazing local believers in so many parts of the world. People are finding a treasure and they're selling everything behind that treasure with joy. And being transformed completely by Christ. That's what's happening on a global scale. On a national level, however, it looks a little bit different from that. American Christianity is in trouble because it does not look like the kingdom. It doesn't look like finding a treasure and selling all the joy and buying that field and having the treasure. It doesn't look like that for many people in America today. Now, in Matthew 24, Jesus says both this gospel of the kingdom will be preached through the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then he says that then the end will come. You want to know what the signs are before Jesus comes back? That's it. He says it very clearly. His intention is that the whole world will know about this treasure. Have an opportunity to hear and to decide whether they want to sell everything and buy the field so they have the treasure. That's God's plan. And it is happening around in our world in amazing ways. But that same passage in Matthew 24 also says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. Now let me just talk briefly. I don't want to go to spend too much time on this, but let's just be honest about our faith environment here in the United States. In general surveys of the public, in, in America, and this is nationwide, about 70% of Americans will say that they're Christian if you ask them are they religious or have a religion. Now that's the broadest grouping that you can make about Christians in America. Now it wasn't long ago that would have been 80%, 80% but now it's 70%. That, that number is dropping. But it's not the percentage that really disturbs me so much as the description of who's included in the 70%. <coughs> According to very intensive surveys of what people actually believe and how they live, Barna says, and I'm reading through his research, I I have to agree with it, that about 10% of Americans have a biblical worldview. 10%. Then that means they hold basic doctrines. This is not a deep theological exam in seminary. These are just simple doctrinal statements from the Bible about what Christianity teaches and it asks them questions in the survey, they ask them questions about how do you actually live? What are the values that guide how you live? That's really what a worldview is. It's both what you believe and how you live. So what that says to us is that 85% of American Christians if we want to include everybody who says they are Lack the basic understanding and life commitments that represent healthy faith. And the question is, is it really faith? 
question is, is it the kingdom? It doesn't look like the kingdom. It doesn't look like sell everything and buy the treasure. So what's happening in America today is that nominal, half-hearted, watered-down, worldly Christianity that denies the basic doctrines of the faith, defines discipleship without obedience, rarely witnesses for Christ, and has little influence over how we live, is declining rapidly, especially among young adults. Now that really shouldn't surprise us, should it? Jesus warns us that there are going to be people who say, Lord, Lord, but they don't actually know Him. There are going to be people who think that they are. They've got the name. But what we know in America today is that what you call yourself has almost no direct connection to actually what you believe to do. That's not what we see of the kingdom in other places. That looks very different. I want to tell, I just want to tell you briefly about the nation's as an example of this seek, find, sell, and buy. I always wanted to carry a stick to church. <laughs> Give it to the guys in the back. You know, they used to do this actually in the old days in early America. The guys that took up the offering stood in the back with a long stick, and if you fell asleep, they tapped you on the shoulder from behind. You guys haven't initiated that yet, have you? Okay, okay. Next week. Oh, next week. You'll need a longer stick. This stick is about the height of comma. That little grandmother on the right. I cannot see her without tearing up. Because her story would live me away. Met her last year in South Asia. And the story that she and her son, this is one of her sons, his name is Jitunder, about five years ago, this time of year, they were home one night and there was a knock on the door. And they opened the door and they saw an old friend who lived in another village, maybe several miles away, who had walked over to their home after working all day and had something to talk to them about. So they invited him in, made chai, of course, and they're sitting there drinking chai, and he says, here, I have to tell you something. And they said, well, what, what is it that you want to tell us? He said, I found a treasure. Now, he didn't put it in those words. He said, a few days ago, one of my friends came to me at night, knocked on the door, and said, I have something to tell you. He said, what is it? Come in, sit down. Of course, tell us. What, what's going on? He said, someone came and told me a story. What kind of story? It's a story about a God who made the whole world. What? Yes, there's a creator God who made the whole world. One? Yes. He created everything? Yes. Well, he must be God. And when he created the world, at the height of his creation, he made men and women, humans. And he created us in his own image. We're unlike anything else in his creation. And here's the amazing thing, they thought. 
He made us all equal. He made us all equal. And the most amazing thing is that even though we rebelled against Him and lived outside of His will for us, He would not leave us there. And He paid a tremendous price so that we could have a relationship with Him. This all-powerful God Himself paid the price because He loves us. G. Thunder, come on, the rest of the family, the whole family's gathered there in their small home. They said, how can this be? We've not heard this before. How can this be? He said, well, let me read it to you in a book, I have, a new book I have. And so he began to read just the few little things that he knew, like John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. Their friend went home that night in the darkness, went back home. But the family couldn't sleep. Jitunder, Kamala, Jitunder's brother, who's about the same age, the whole family, all the children, are all sitting there in that home talking about this incredible thing. Pretty much all night. Until deep into the night, they all said, we're going to go tomorrow to his home before he goes to work in the field. And we're going to ask him again if this is true. And show us again that book. And if this is true, we will all follow this way. We've never heard of a powerful God. We've never heard of a God who loves us. We've never heard of a God who would give himself to make salvation possible for us. We've never heard anything like this. This is news and it's good. It is the news and it's So they went that next day and found that friend early in the morning before he went out to work and asked him again. And he told them the same story again. He showed it to them in the book and they said, We will follow this way. Our whole family will follow this way. And we want to be baptized. In their country, it's recently been made illegal to become a Christian and to be baptized. They don't care. They're on a trade. Who cares what people say or do? If you find a treasure, a real treasure, treasure worth your life. And so they were baptized a few weeks later. And they did what? All the believers in that area do. Now, they haven't been in church all their lives, any of those kinds of things. So they begin very simply. Read the book every day. And they, oh my. They can't wait to sit down at night and read the book because it's unbelievable. It tells all these amazing things about this God. And how much He loves us and what He did for us. They can't wait to read the book. And then they pray. And then they pray. 
And then, beginning the very first week that they're Christians, they do something that we would find extraordinary, but actually fits in with all the definitions of the kingdom that we see in the New Testament. They make a list of 20 people, their best friends and family and neighbors and cousins, who don't know this story. And in the first three months that they are a Christian, they go tell this story to all 20. It doesn't take long before they've led five or six or seven or eight of those people on their list to faith in Christ. And even though they haven't been to seminary yet, they're forced into this terrible position where they have to start getting together in groups and read because some can't read and they pray together and before long they're actually making up songs and singing and what do you know, before anybody realizes it looks like Sunday morning. Well, Kitunder went to several villages around and in his first couple of months as a Christian started two churches. His brother did the same thing. Kamala's going with them. She's helping teach the women. Those kinds of things. They already started several churches within the first six months that they're following Jesus because people, we try to make it a lot harder than it is. Just talk about Jesus. The disciple knows it come to faith. That's what it's about. So one Sunday morning, the church is meeting in their home. Now, a lot of their friends and neighbors have come to Christ. The first Christians in their whole district, there are no Christians there. It's against the law to be a Christian. They're gathered in their home on a Sunday morning singing, and the whole village knows it. They're not supposed to do this. But they keep telling people, it's not a secret. They're not doing this hiding. They're telling everybody they know about Jesus. And then they're inviting them to come and join them for worship. Well, in India, the police have a stick about this long that they refer to as a lati. A lati. And if you've seen movies or the news about that very crowded part of the world, you'll often see the policemen standing in line sort of trying to hold back the crowds with the sick. And they need it because there's so many people. So every policeman carries a stick about like this. So they're sitting there in their home praising and reading the scripture. And the front door of their house bursts open and in comes a policeman. And sometimes they hold that stick this way and sometimes they hold it this way. Because you see, the lucky has two points. You can push with it, or you can crack heads with it. Big policeman walked in there, and he looked at them, and he pointed this stick at them, and he said, This must stop! The whole village knows you're doing this. The village leaders know it. The priests in the temple know it. The whole village is mad. This must stop! And he held that stick in the way that it's now a threat. What happens next? Come. Shorter than this stick. 
gets up without a word and walks to within easy reach. In fact, she's right up in front of him, which you don't do when a policeman's ready to swing a lucky. Come on with a smile on her face, walks within a few feet of him, and hear the words that she says. Kill me first. If this must stop, we will not leave Jesus for the choice of yours. And if you're going to kill us, kill me first. She Tucker said that the policeman looked so surprised he looked around the room. And the rest of them, she Tucker and his brother and the rest of the family are all sitting there shaking their heads like, okay, yeah, kill her. And, you know, I'm next. There's complete silence for about 30 seconds or more. And finally the policeman turned and on his way out the door said, okay, never mind. He wasn't expecting that response. And on numerous occasions on Sunday mornings when that group is still worshiping in that home, when the political leaders in that village raise up a crowd to send down there to attack the Christians, or someone, a group coming out of the temple, the same thing. On multiple occasions now, there's been a crowd walking down that little alleyway to their house. And right before they get to the house where they're going to burst into that door, out stops a policeman with a latte. And he says, you can't go this way. Leave them alone. My friends of the church, It's a treasure to treasure personally, to see, to find. But like those poor, largely uneducated people who were brand new believers in so many parts of the world, it's a treasure that must be shared. It must be shared. Jesus told us that we value it, we all share it. It must be shared. And so, again, at this time of year where we celebrate the treasure that we have. Would we pray? Would we give so that treasure continues to be shared? And that one part of South Asia, in less than a decade, there are now 24,000 new churches that started the exact same way as the one in Thomas' house. Simple people telling the story and people being amazed at God's gift and selling all they had with joy and saying, oh God, thank you for that treasure. This reminder of how you are at work around the world and the beauty and joy of the treasure that you offer us in this new life in Jesus and how when we 
grab hold of the treasure that it's not for us to rebury again, it's for us to take and to share with the world. Not just the world out there generally at large, but in our world, in our our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools. So we pray that you would guide us in that, that you would lead us with your spirit's strength and wisdom, so that we too would continue to be a beacon, a light, a lighthouse for the hurting, for the lost, for those who need your love and your grace in their lives. We pray now in hope and trust in the name of Jesus together. Amen. We're going to sing one verse for our closing song. In just a moment, as we uh, express it as a prayer back to God, as a, I hope, a heartfelt response back to the Lord. And I thank you for your word today. Jesus is great. Word to us. Would you stand? Find our last song.